Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Guys, welcome again to RUF. Uh, glad to be here with you tonight on this frigid day. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am not well adjusted to like this semester yet. And today I found myself being like, what month is it, honestly? Like I totally thrown off. So still getting used to the semester, but hope yours is starting off okay. Um, at RUF every week, we always look at a passage from the Bible and uh, this semester, we're doing something kind of different for RUF. We're uh, bouncing around in the Bible a little bit rather than kind of reading through a section of the Bible at RUF. And uh, we're looking, uh, we're doing a series that I'm calling All of Life Belongs to God. And what we're focusing on is the fact that all of life, that God has something to say about every area of life that we encounter, uh, the things that we encounter all the time. And one of those is relationships. And uh, we're going to spend a few weeks uh, here at the beginning of the semester just thinking through what, what is God, what does the Bible have to offer us as we think about relationships. And last week we talked about the idea that we were made for relationships, that we were made for love. And this week uh, we're going to focus more on the challenge of relationships. Uh, so, you know, it's great, right? We're made for relationships, but... Uh, practically, relationships can be really challenging. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And to do that, uh, we're going to re- uh, read this uh, account of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and uh, mostly from Genesis 3. I'm just going to jump around a little bit in it. Um, so at the beginning of this passage, it says, And the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked and were not ashamed. And uh, it goes on to recount how there's a garden and how God said not to eat of one of the trees, the fruit of one of the trees. And then it's, uh, but they go and see the fruit. And it says, so when the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then it goes on to say how the account concludes. And in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Uh, Let's pray again. God, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would guide us and uh, that you would change us. Uh, because we've interacted with your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the scariest things 
about middle school for me. Middle school can be an awful time, right? And uh, for me, one of the scariest things about middle school was that in my middle school, there was always the threat that someone might walk up behind you and pull down your pants. It was called, you would get pantsed. And, uh, you know, times have changed a little bit, so I think this happens less today than it did then because people are more, like, wary of this kind of thing. But it was just one of those things that happened to some people sometimes as a joke that someone would walk up to you and just pants you in front of everyone and you would just be totally exposed. And I don't remember that ever actually happening to me, but I remember the fear of it. I remember just thinking how awful it would be if that were to happen and everyone were to laugh. And thankfully, middle school is over, right? Thank God it's over for all of us. Uh, but uh, what I found as I've gotten older and gone through more stages of life is that that fear just morphs into some other thing. Like, I'm no longer afraid that someone's going to come up behind me and pull down my pants, but I live with this, a similar version of the same fear. And uh, one place I really got struck with it was when I was a grad. I went to grad, graduate school, seminary, to be a pastor, and I took preaching classes. And one of the things we did in preaching class was you would stand up in front of your classmates and you would give a sermon like this, just like this. And uh, except they would also videotape you and then your assignment would be to take the DVD home and watch yourself and critique yourself. And, you know, you put the DVD in and, you know, you see yourself up there and you're just like, oh, no, that's what I look like. <laughs> and then you start talking and it's like, my voice sounds like that. And it's like, why am I making that facial expression? And, you know, like, why am I moving around like that? And, you know, the shame just pours down as you see, maybe for the first time, what you... And then you're like, this is what everyone sees when they look at me all the time? Oh, no. I hated knowing that I didn't know how I looked. You know, I hated realizing, oh, that's, that's just what I sound like. That's what I look like. Uh, it can be hard. You know, if you hear a recording of your own voice, you might experience that sometime. Um, Last week we were talking about how we were made for love and we were made for relationships and how relationships are so wonderful. But uh, what I want to focus on today is why is it so hard? You know, like we all want good relationships and so few of us have them uh, that stick for a long time. And the reality is that when we try to pursue relationships and when we try to pursue community, what we feel much of the time is disconnection from people. And what we all bring into relationships and our attempts at relationships is it's a primal fear almost that we might be truly seen and truly known and that people might run. It's a fear of nakedness. You know, it's a fear that people will see the real me and they won't like it. And so I want to kind of think through those ideas and as we look at this passage, and I want to begin by just thinking about the experience of nakedness in the Garden of Eden, right? At the beginning of this passage, uh, in this account, we read that the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. And I want you to just think about what that might be like, okay? They live in a world where they're naked 
And there's no sense of this is uncomfortable. There's no sense of this is different. Uh, there's no insecurity whatsoever. And instead, there's just a sense of like everything is great. Things between us, our relationship is great. And it's not even, you know, like a thought of I'm in the same way that we don't think about like, am I breathing oxygen right now? Like, we don't think about that because we're all, like, it's something that's just part of, we've never breathed anything else. And so for them, that's what being naked was like. And in this account, unfortunately, Adam and Eve disobey God for no good reason. And what immediately happens is that everything falls apart, including uh, them experiencing nakedness and shame for the first time. Uh, They go from the freedom and bliss of a wonderful, intimate connection with each other and to God and a wonderful experience of the world to the feeling of getting pantsed in middle school like that. And, you know, how do they respond? Uh, they, They begin by sewing fig leaves together to make underwear for themselves. I wonder what you think about that, right? Like, it probably isn't going to work very well. Like, I think that might rip pretty easily when you sit down, right? I think the leaves will eventually crumble. Like, it's not going to be, like, a durable set of underwear, right? Like, that's not going to... kind of a silly thing to do, right? And the sillier thing that they do is they hide from the presence of God among the trees. Like, you know, he's God. He might find you there. Like, he might be able to find you if you're hiding. And, you know, so there's these two kind of silly things that they do immediately in response to feeling shame and nakedness. And I thought about that idea. You know, I have little kids, and one of the things I kind of find hilarious about little kids is that when they cover their eyes, like, they think that because they can't see you, that you can't see them either. So, like, my daughter will often be like, Daddy, where am I? You know, and it's just like... (laughs) I don't know, right? Um, and, but, you know, as I thought about it more, like, that just translates into every other, you know, the older you get, that phenomenon still exists. Like, do you ever, have you ever had to say something hard, like a difficult conversation, and felt the inclination to just look down? Not make, you know, like, if I don't make eye contact, it won't be, they won't see me. You know, they won't, like, that instinct carries through all of life, Right? Uh, if, if, they, if I don't look, they won't see me. If I don't make eye contact, this will be, this will be smoother. Um, what are the ways that you hide? So I mentioned that I have little kids, and one of the joys of parenting that I got to endure for the first time this summer was potty training a two-year-old girl, my girl, Margot, and uh, we did this method of potty training called Oh Crap Potty Training, and uh, amazing, it's like, it's like very intense, and the goal is like, it, within the span of like a week or so, you can get your kid potty trained, and it actually worked pretty well, but what it required us to do was to just get rid of all the diapers, like one day it was just like, you know, we're getting rid of all the diapers, and my daughter would just was just like thrown into the pool, figuratively speaking. And uh, what we were supposed to do as her parents was to watch her like a hawk 
for two days straight. Like, we cleared our schedule, and we're just, like, watching her. And, and the second we see a sign that, like, something is about to happen, we just, like, run to the bathroom. And it's like potty training a puppy, like house training a puppy. And uh, what we found with, about my daughter in the realm of pooping is that, uh, you know, what you're supposed to do is look for all these signals. And her signal was to wrap herself up in a blanket. That's like, you know, oh, no, this is happening. What can I do? I'm going to wrap myself up in a blanket, right? And, you know, it's just like any, all these things we're talking about, uh, it translates to all of life. And I was thinking about a time in high school where I asked a girl to the homecoming dance. I was a junior in high school, I think, and I kind of like stepped out boldly to a girl that was in like my class with me. I didn't know her that well. And I was like, hey, would you like to go to homecoming? Because we had like kind of developed a little bit of a friendly relationship. And she was like, yeah, I will. And, and so I had a date to homecoming and I was feeling pretty good about it until I was at soccer practice one day and this guy on my team was like, so who are you taking to homecoming? And I was like, I'm taking so-and-so. And he goes, uh, she's dating so-and-so, though. And I was like, yeah, I know. And the problem was, I did not know that. <laughs> like, why would I ask someone to homecoming who had a boyfriend already? And so I was in this, like, I'm not, and it was amazing how instinctive it was for me to just be like, yeah, I know. Like, I take girls to homecoming that have boyfriends all the time, right? Like, <laughs> You know, so that would be called lying, which is another response to shame, right? Lying to ourselves, or lying to other people or projecting something. Um, one counselor who's written books that are really wonderful called Dan Allender, uh, he says this. He says, the dread of being found out is sufficient to fuel radical denial, workaholism, perfectionism, re-victimization, and a host of other ills. But the fear is greater than simply losing relationship. It is the terror that if our dark soul is discovered, we will never be enjoyed, nor desired, nor pursued by anyone. You think he's, you see what he's saying there? He's saying uh, this fear and the shame associated with it uh, drive us to do things like, you know, we don't pull a blanket around ourselves, but we do stay really, really busy. Or we isolate ourselves. Or, you know, we might say, like, I'm just going to make my grades and my resume and my appearance look so good that there couldn't be, you know, no one would suspect that there's anything possibly wrong in here. Uh, or sometimes we hurt other people to make ourselves feel better. Well, one way we do this is gossip, which is rampant, right? Like, if you overhear, if you're just, like, sitting somewhere on campus and you happen to overhear, like, someone else's conversation, like, 50-50 chance that they're gossiping about someone, Right? And we all do it, and it, it feels really good, right? Someone else is messed up, and it's not me. Uh, another thing we do is distract ourselves with entertainment, which is convenient today because entertainment is everywhere, right? Like, we stand in long lines to get food, and we could be talking with the people around us, but if you look at the lines for food anywhere on campus, what you'll see is everyone going like this, right, looking at their phone. And what all those things are examples of is disconnection, Disconnection from the people around you. Uh, another uh, counselor and writer puts it this way. He says, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something else associated with you. 
uh, you feel exposed and humiliated. It's, uh, shame, in other words, says, I'm the only one. Everyone is okay except me. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting things, I've been at RUF a long time now. Uh, this is my seventh year on campus. And uh, over and over again, something I've heard from people that kind of come to RUF and step into this community for the first time and eventually kind of find a home here is they say something like, it took me a while to feel at home in RUF because it, I, it, I was worried that everyone was, like, better than me. I was worried that, you know, there were all these people that had, like, such solid faith and then there was me and I have doubts. Or I was worried uh, that everyone else was more committed to their faith than me or that everyone's life was more put together than mine. And, the, you know, the interesting thing about that is that if everyone is saying things like that and thinking things like that, it means everyone's messed up, right? But we tell ourselves, I'm the only one, um, what we do, we replay like a blooper reel of our messed up stuff in our head while we also at the same time play everyone else's highlight reel. And social media makes that like a billion times harder, right? Because what you're looking at constantly is everyone's highlight reel and you're looking at your own blooper reel as you just think about who you are and what you've done. Uh, I wonder... What weight did you carry in here tonight? What weight did you carry in here that you think is only true of you? Maybe it's, you know, no one in RUF looks at as much pornography as me. Or maybe it's no one in RUF is as sexually broken or confused as me. Or no one in RUF is as clueless about what they're doing with their life as me. Or no one in RUF is as addicted as me. Or no one in RUF has as messed up of a family as me. Or, you know, whatever it is. And I want to just acknowledge that if that's you, carrying that weight must be really, really tough. And so thinking about that weight that you carry, what's the fig leaf underwear that you have on? What are you hiding behind? protect yourself from being seen? Uh, what are the ways that you're hiding from God and everyone else? Uh, are you just saying, well, I'm a loner. You know, I'm independent. That's why I don't hang out with people too much. Or, you know, I'm really busy. Look at my crazy schedule. Do you see how busy I am? Or, you know, how much energy are you putting into looking good physically or just the life that you project? And I want you, as you think about whatever your fig leaf underwear is, I want you to think about how those things are disconnecting you from the people around you. How are they making life into a shadow of what it was meant to be? So if we stopped there, it would be a pretty depressing night, right? <laughs> uh, you know, what hope is there? We all struggle with shame. We're saying that flat out, right? We all struggle with it. Uh, is that how it's always going to be? Is there any hope? And what I want to show you in this passage is, is that the hope is in how God responds to shame. And I want us to think about the experience of being clothed. Um, in our passage, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I don't know what you picture when you think of that. And this has been depicted in artwork and stuff. And I think what I have always pictured is like 
that they look like cavemen and cavewomen or something like that. Uh, but what you need to see about uh, this word garments is that it's actually translated from the, a Hebrew word that means tunic. And a tunic would be something, you know, in this context, more of like a royal garment. Um, there, God clothes Adam and Eve, in other words, in royal clothes. In other words, God makes each of them like a dope outfit to wear. Even though they're the ones who got themselves in this mess. It's their fault. They insulted God and everything fell apart. And instead of blasting them, God comes looking for them so that he can clothe them. And he says, where are you? And it's this way, like he knows where they are, but it's his way of initiating the relationship again. He's inviting them back. He's inviting them to reflect on what's happened. In other words, God takes naked and ashamed people and instead of adding to their shame, instead of turning away in shame, clothes them like kings and queens. That's just what God is like. That's what he's like. That's the kind of thing he does. And don't let it be lost on you that something had to die in order for Adam and Eve to be clothed like kings and queens. And I just want you to think about for that for a second. And if you're familiar with the Bible, think, does that sound like anything else in the Bible? where someone has to die so that some others can be clothed like kings and queens, right? It's already pointing us to the cross. It's pointing us to the place where Jesus, will, the God-man, will come and die. And the result of that is that we get clothed in his standing with God. That when God looks at people who trust in Christ, he sees royalty. He sees his own child. God is not like everyone else who wants to expose you so that he can feel better about himself. God wants to wrap you up. He wants to clothe you himself with his glory. And the amazing thing is that to accomplish it, he had to be exposed. This is never really depicted. It would be probably too scandalous if it was. But you know Jesus was crucified completely naked, right? You know he was paraded through the streets carrying the cross completely naked, right? You know he was lifted up on there for everyone to see and mock completely naked, right? In other words, our worst nightmare he endured for us. He entered into it. He knows what shame is like. And he did it for you. He did it to clothe you. And if your hope is in Jesus, then you can be exposed and it won't wreck you. And that's the foundation for community. You know, like you can find out all my weird stuff and my dark stuff and, you know, all the things that I'm ashamed of. And if I have the love of God that's found in Christ, like that's okay. I'm secure in that so that I can step out. Uh, It'll draw you deeper into relationships. It'll draw you deeper in community. Uh, People can know the real you. And the interesting thing is that when people know the real you, what they'll probably say is, yeah, me too. Because we're all in this boat together, right? Do you see how connection can happen so easily when we're freed up to just say, this is who I am. I know that God loves me. I know that he died to save me. I know that he thinks I'm his son or daughter. 
So I would encourage you to step out into relationships this week. I don't know what that looks for you. Maybe it looks like, you know, trying to introduce yourself to someone where you would have just kind of said, well, maybe next time. Or maybe it means, you know, the friendship that you have where someone, your good friend doesn't actually know what you actually struggle with and maybe they need to know. You know, maybe something's going on at home that no one knows about and the people that need to know are like your friends that can actually be there for you and care for you. So I'd encourage you to think about stepping out. I would encourage you to think about taking the risk of relationship and do it because Jesus has seen all of you already. Nothing's hidden from him. And yet he still died so that you could be clothed. He still wants you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we uh, honestly are terrified of connection, uh, terrified of being known, of intimacy, uh, because of these fears that we're talking about, and uh, they run really deep. And so we need your grace. We need to hear more and more of your love for people like us. We need you uh, to apply your gospel to our hearts regularly. And uh, we pray that you would by your spirit. We pray that as we think about this text uh, today and tomorrow and this week, that you would uh, remind us of your love. And we pray that you would change our relationships and strengthen them and help us to experience the joy in relating to one another that we were made for. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.